Hey, Cask Chasers, we'll start the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, everybody, Joshua Hatton here with Impex Beverages. Hi, Dave. If I were to offer you a plane ticket to go to Wales or Scotland, where would you like to go right now? I have to pick between those two? You do. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Wales. I like Wales. Awesome. So let's talk about Pendaren because that's a, that's a single malt whiskey from Wales. Okay. Right? Have you heard of that before? I've heard that word before. You've heard the word. The word. What's the word again? Pendaren. Yes, that word. I've heard it's that word. It's not the bird. It's Pendaren. Right. The bird is not the word. Pendaren's right. the word. Yes. Yes. So you might actually, as someone who dislikes whiskey, what is, let's talk about this. What do you not like about whiskey? I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a, a matter of principle at this point. <laughs> Well, if I were to pour you a glass of Pendaren, and, and let me think of one off the top of my head. It's one of my favorites, the Pendaren Madeira, mm. right? That's their flagship. Thankfully, it's also one of my favorites. If I were to pour that for you, you would get notes of fresh berries. You like fresh berries. I love them. Right? You'd get some, a bit of vanilla, maybe a little caramel going on there, and this sort of almost delicate spice, gingery spice coming through. That all sounds amazing. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that's just deliciousness in a glass. Sure. It sounds like you want me to pour you a glass. I don't. Can I pour me a glass? Yes. Okay. This is Maggie Kimbrell, president of the Bourbon Women Association and content editor of American Whiskey Magazine, and you're listening to the Cask Chasers podcast. All right, Cask Chasers, we have a great guest for you today. You may know her as the content editor for the American Whiskey Magazine, a contributor to the Alcohol Professor and the Bourbon Review, or as a self-proclaimed kick-ass Kentuckian and professor of whiskey and cigar pairings. We have none other than the new president of the Bourbon Women Association, Maggie Kimbrell, joining us on today's episode. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cask Chasers Podcast. How's it going today, sir? I am doing well. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. I got to say, I'm uh, enjoying your Wilderness Trail hat that you're styling today. It's really cool. I uh, My wife got it for me. It's flat brimmed, which I'm not so used to. So dope. Normal, it is dope. I'm trying to be hip. I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to... I don't know what I'm doing. But I didn't... So I was told by my kids, don't bend it. Because mm. I always, you know, flex the the the, right. the bill. Like mine's, you have yours. Mine's aggressively bent right now. Like, which looks good, but I didn't. And they were like, don't do it, Dad. It looks really cool. And so I'm like, all right. And they're like, now they're dressing me. So... If your kids can tell you that you look cool, I think that I think the thing to do is just to hold on to that until you realize they're pranking you. So it's don't embarrass me is what they're saying. <laughs> That's what they're not saying. Dad, we want you to be cool and hip. We, they're saying, Dad, we have to go out with you <laughs> in public. So would you please not look like an idiot? So nice. I'm wearing a hip hat anyway. So yeah, Wilderness Trail, which is great brand, awesome hats. So that's nice. me. Aaron nice. has no hat on. I'm wearing no hat. Um, the only one of us without a hat, I Aaron. I know, I know. 
I'm, I'm wearing no hat. I've got no clothes. No, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't make any sense. It's, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that we were supposed to wear clothes and hats today. But I'm doing well. Thank that's you. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that's all we can hope for. So, well, however, we're just styling today. We're gonna button it up somehow because we are joined by one of our favorites, none other than the content editor of American Whiskey Magazine, contributor to Whiskey Magazine, and several related spirit industry journalist locations periodicals, etc. But most importantly, the newly appointed president of the Bourbon Women Association, Maggie Kimbrell, is back with us today. Hi, Maggie. Ta-da! Here I am. <laughs> I like that. Thanks like a magician's intro. I know. I love that intro. Can you just like follow me around everywhere I go and introduce me that way? That'd be like hella rad. I'm not going to say no. She'll go to Starbucks <laughs> and when they say, who who should this be? Who who would name? And she's like, I got it. I got it. Right. So what I need you to write on that cup is. They, you get three cups every time just because it takes so much. Yeah, it takes, yeah so many letters. Can I just shorten it? To, no? Okay. I'll just keep writing. <laughs> we need to capture the whole resume. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So well, Maggie, I, mean, I do. I do make my children address me as Colonel President Mommy. Why so. wouldn't you? Colonel Why wouldn't you? President Mommy. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's boss. I'm also a Colonel, right? Yeah. So that's a. It's a. I mean, honestly, we're we're joking around a lot, but congratulations. That's that's big. Thank that's you. huge. Yeah. yeah. I think the last time I talked to you all, I hinted that there was something big on the horizon and I wasn't able to really spill the beans. And yeah. then I think it was like a week after that, the announcement was made that I I became the president of the Bourbon Women Association. You so kept it. I hate keeping you all in the dark about you did. that. And but, uh, we were um, trying to drag it out of you. but I mean, all the bribe <laughs> money that you kept, by the way, <laughs> didn't go anywhere. <laughs> didn't, didn't work. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, so it's been wild. And I, you know, I'm really, really enjoying it though, because, you know, for one thing, it was such an honor to be chosen by Peggy No Stevens, the founder of Bourbon Women, to lead this organization. Um, you know, especially right now, uh, because, you know, it is a, it is a nonprofit. And, you know, last year was hard for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is really an opportunity to, you know, get in there and kind of steer us back in the right direction after the you know the pandemic kind of had its way with everything yeah yeah um well deserved though honestly i mean you know we're we're uh we we love you on the show we uh we read your articles i mean you're you're the content editor of an amazing magazine american whiskey magazine so you're you're much more but now you're even more more I, which is i wasn't more, sure more. if we were going to be able to Super get on your cool. calendar more more the so, Morris. But it's awesome and I'm looking <laughs> I think, forward. I think some people call that extra. Yeah. Uh, that's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hip like the kids. I'm so extra. <laughs> Maggie, I think, I think that's why you're the editor here and we're just the talkers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit, like, I don't, I don't know how mysterious this, this all is. I tend to think about in terms of secret societies. Don't ask why, but like how long after, um, you were notified you were being considered for this, were you given the nod? Like, did you have to interview? Is it a body of work that spoke for itself? I mean, how, how did this come to be? Um, well, it was, I mean, yes, I had, I had to interview. Um, but it, it wasn't like, you know, I, I don't know if they were considering other people. They certainly didn't tell me that. Um, but it was, Basically, by the time I went in and sat down with them, they were like, we want you to do this. What do you think? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, what do you say to that? Like, you know, because I mean, 
obviously I, I had quit my, I had another day job and I had quit my day job because I was planning on writing a book and they were like, we know that you're working on this book, but you know, we have this other job that has just come available that we think you would be perfect for. Will you come talk to us about it? And I went over and talked to them about it and, you know, they told me what the job was and my teeth hit the floor and then, you know, I lifted my teeth back up into my <laughs> area and was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can definitely do that. But, you know, really it, it feels like a perfect fit. You know, a lot of times I think when you start a new job, there's that like shaky ground when you mm -hmm. first get started. And really for me, you know, after the first week, um, after I had a chance to talk to everybody uh, that I would be working with and get an idea of what they did and get an idea of how, you know, how we would be working together, what they needed from me and everything. I was like, yeah, I can do this. And that's a really good feeling because, you know, like I'm, a, I'm at a place in my career where I feel really comfortable taking on leadership roles. And, you know, I feel like maybe 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago, I would not have been this comfortable stepping into a leadership position. Um, but, you know, I've done a lot of work over the last 10 years of my career. And, uh, you know, obviously with the magazine and being content editor and, and all that kind of stuff, like I've had a lot of leadership positions. And then, you know, in my, in my day job that I did for the last seven years, I was the, uh, the uh, director of content for an infographic design agency, which was, you know, I was like training interns and, and doing that sort of thing. And uh, so, you know, like I have that leadership ability now. And so it feels good at this point in my life to be like, yeah, I got this, you know, I love how you just said that too, about like when you're more comfortable stepping into leadership positions and kind of how you know maturity and different experiences add to that. I mean, sure. we try different things on a regular basis, but it's, it's funny because on a podcast perspective and from a cast chasers perspective at large, there's been such a cool, I don't know, history of growth and just different ideas. And it's, it's kind of always that tension, that balance between like, what is the newest creative thing we can do that really serves what our mission is and like really reaches out to the rest of the whiskey enthusiasts we want it to reach out to versus like, when do we need to think through this a little bit more? And nine times out of 10, it seems the answer is just, you know what, surge ahead because if you have that experience and that vision, it's going to lend out. Well, and if you put the right people like you, Maggie, or, you know, Katie, our, our director, you put people in the, in the right, you put the right people in the right place, you're going to have success, I think. And, um, I mean, obviously, you being at the helm now, you're going to kill it. So, I mean, that's awesome. And I, I, I see some cool stuff happening and hopefully some yeah, amazing I mean, things. My wife is think, a member and uh, I, I think, oh, awesome. are you too? Yeah. She got her, um, oh. she got a bunch of merch in the, in the mail. She opened it up. She had her, you know, going Karen glass and her, uh, you know, the thing that goes on the back of the phone, just a bunch of stuff. I didn't get anything, but whatever, you know, um, <laughs> but she got a bunch of cool stuff. Well, and uh, I will tell you, we do allow men to join. Because, you know, we, we don't have, um, we don't, we don't discriminate. Um, that is something that we feel like men can do to be allies and to help support. Oh, us. I'm joining. Yeah. Join. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like, be prepared to be outnumbered if you ever come to one of our events. Welcome to the club. Um, I'm currently, I'm <laughs> yeah. currently outnumbered. My whole world is outnumbered. So I'm. <laughs> I'm okay. So you're I'm fine with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we absolutely allow men to join. We encourage men to join because that's something that you all can do to be allies and to support our cause and our mission. Absolutely. I, I actually did not know that. Join, so I'm uh, excited. <laughs> join. Yeah. 
I just got excited with, yeah, Aaron kind of called me out on my comment just then, but it, it's a rare thing. Like, I think it's a rare thing as to, to think about a situation where um, the men are outnumbered by women, you know, because, you know, in, in my day job in the telecom industry, even in positions of leadership, definitely um, previously in instances where you're, you're, you know, enjoying bourbon, talking to somebody that does, it's, you know, you're kind of always the odd lady out. So I don't know. I think that sounds like a lot of fun to bring the guys in. Mm. You know, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I was so I was raised by you know essentially my a single mom that whole backstory. But I had grandmothers and aunts in my life that raised me, raised me, and they were monsters. I mean, they were boss ladies. So yeah. I like to be. I like a woman to tell me where I'm wrong and why I should or should not do something. I find they're more intelligent. I'm not placating. That just <laughs> seems to be the truth in my life. So no, I I. I and to be jokes aside, to be in a room, I, I've seen the list of people who are in leadership um, with bourbon women. You're shutting up when they, when 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 they talk because they are a wealth of knowledge and information. You, ha- I'd, I'd have nothing to add. It would only be to gain. So, I mean, I want to come know, and it, say nothing. It's interesting, even for me, because this is the first time that I've ever worked in a position where everyone around me is a strong woman leader. And, you know, that's been just such a treat because, you know, like it, there, there's so much uh, focus on just getting stuff done and there's, you know, it takes the, the whole ego out of it. And, you know, like women, there, there was this really great um, SNL skit a few years back. I don't know if you'll remember that. Bitches get shit done. You know? <laughs> so, like, that's, that's the kind of environment that I'm working in now. It's like nobody is, you know, having to be the, you know, there's no posturing and all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's like you just get in there and you get it done. And I love it. It's so great. It's a t- completely different energy than anything that I've ever experienced before. And not to bring up any topics that are so I'm just curious. I'll just come around and say it. So you've interviewed and you've been I mean, you've been an editor. You've written, you know, articles and and for papers for a long time. And you've interviewed a lot of great people. I'm Sure. sure that time has come where you've had that interview where you've felt you know, specifically with a guy where you felt like, or he's one, a great, another one, another over talk me or, or treat me this way. I want to believe in the whiskey industry. That's less than anywhere else. I don't know if that's the truth. Do you see that it's more, I guess the word is inclusive there, or do you think it's, have you seen your fair share, unfortunately, even in this world of, am I asking that right? Of people coming at you in an interview where they didn't maybe respect your position or who you were or that you knew I mean, that's honestly a really great question. So I mean, I I baffled asking it, but I tried my best. I I think it's I think it's a good question. And it's something that, you know, I actually enjoy talking about because by and large, my experience in the distilled spirits industry has been that people treat me with a great deal of respect and respect my position. You know, every once in a while, I'll run across somebody who I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to give that person much more of my time. (laughs) Uh, But I would say 99.5% of the time, uh, you know, everybody that I've talked to has been very welcoming, very inclusive. And, you know, they're, for the most part, has been very respectful of, you know, my knowledge and my position. Uh, the, The place where I have experienced the most, like, feeling that 
I am not welcome, if you will, is actually in the cigar industry. Um, so, you know, since I do cover both sides of that, they are vastly different experiences, hmm. vastly different industries. There are a handful of people in the cigar industry who have always treated me with respect, but the vast majority of people in the cigar industry will not give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, and, and I feel like that speaks volumes about the distilled spirits industry because I, I was surprised when I started to kind of segue into the other industry and I met so much resistance there. Um, and I was like, oh, you know what? I guess I've been really spoiled here in the distilled spirits industry. So, you know, like some of the one of the people in the in the cigar industry who has been uh, probably the most supportive of me is Jonathan Drew, founder of Drew Estate. Um, he's been absolutely fantastic. And all the folks at Drew Estate have been fantastic with me over the years. But really getting into that world and trying to uh, and, you know, I guess there are some folks down at um, Cigar Snob Magazine. They've been really, really great with me as well. Um, but, you know, a lot of the publications and stuff like that, you know, they they kind of don't want to hear from me. So it, it's been been very interesting. That's in, I mean. I'm glad you said, I mean, I hate that about the cigar industry, but with the spirits industry, we say it all the time. That's what we find. It's such a cool group of everybody and it's awesome. So it's, you know, Aaron and I started this as an enthusiast group drinking whiskey. That's what we were the very beginning before there was a show, a a web page and all that noise. That's what we did. And we were married. We want to fold our wives into our lives and kind of have that partnership and, you know, be strong. And it was it was a organ. It was a kind of a group that could do that. You know, there was no pushback. There was no, everybody was welcome. And, um, so I, I, I like hearing that and I'll, I'll address the cigar industry on my own too. I don't know who to talk to yet, but I'll we'll reach get, out. We'll, stop it. I'm just going to type, stop it. Get cigar me the president industry. of the cigar industry. <laughs> Who's Mr. Cigar. Make, get me Mr. Cigar on the phone. No, get me Mrs. Me cigar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, if, if we could for just a second, um, Maggie, if we could just talk about just the, your contributions as far as articles and, um, just all, all that, all that sort of thing, whiskey magazine, et cetera. Um, just cause I've read, I could go on and just read articles by you forever. And I just, I'd learn so much, whether it's whiskey magazine somewhere else and they just, to me, they just read so naturally. And you just, even before we ever spoke with you, I was like, this feels like a person I would just like to hang out with and, and enjoy that. So it, it, maybe your, your muse, what's your, what's your process for that? And what are some of your favorite things to kind of write about? So those are all really great questions. Uh, I will say my process, kind of my muse, and this is something that has been a challenge for me over the last year of the pandemic. So I love getting out there, meeting new people, uh, you know, whether it's on the enthusiast side or whether it's on the industry side. Uh, You know, I love hearing people's stories, you know, on the enthusiast side, I love to hear how they got into bourbon, how they got into whiskey, all that kind of stuff, what they're trying, what they're excited about now. On the industry side, I love to hear people's stories about, uh, you know, how how they came to the decision to start a distillery or brand or whatever, and what that process was like, and, and just really see their passion for that. And that is really where I get most of my inspiration for my stories. Now, obviously, in the last year, Um, I've not been traveling. So the last place that I traveled was Portland, Oregon, and that was in January of 2020. And then, you know, I had planned on 
uh, I was all set to go to New Orleans for the New Orleans Bourbon Festival when that got shut down. And then, uh, you know, everything pretty much nationwide got shut down the following week. And so I haven't been anywhere since Portland, Oregon in January of 2020. And so that was a challenge for me over the last year, getting that inspiration, because ordinarily when I travel, I'm going into cigar shops, I'm going into, uh, you know, whiskey bars, and I'm talking to people, I'm talking to bartenders, I'm talking to the locals, I'm talking to the people running the distillery and everything. And I get so many, um, you know, offshoots of story ideas just from talking to people uh, that, you know, after I do the story of where I've traveled, then I roll that into, you know, whatever I'm doing next. And so not being able to talk to people and travel places and see, you know, meet new people face to face and like really get that energy of the excitement that they have for what they're doing. That was really challenging for me. But what I found was that, you know, I started to have these other ideas and other questions that were something that I could, you know, go a little bit more research heavy on. And so I got really into writing about and, and doing virtual lectures about kosher spirits, kosher cocktails. And so, you know, I talked to a couple of rabbis, I talked to a couple of kosher mixologists, and just really did a deep dive on that whole world and all those issues. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up having several, several stories come out of that just because, you know, that was something that piqued my interest. And I was able to do that research without, you know, traveling and, and going places. So, yeah, I mean, there's in, inspiration comes from a lot of different places. And I feel like there was another part of that question that I totally forgot about. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. Well, what, I know. <laughs> what's, what's been the hardest piece to, to write about, the most difficult? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's, it's not hard for me. I want to say, I'm sure there's something that's been more challenging than another thing. A lot of times there are things that I'm like, man, I'm glad that's done. You know, <laughs> there's like this overwhelming sense of relief once I get, get it done. Uh, but I've always been a writer, you know, like being a writer is just a state of my, like, it's part of your, your being, you know, I appreciate and that, so, yeah. like it's, it's hard. You know, I was explaining to somebody recently, it's really hard to get a non-writer to write things. But it's also on the flip side, really easy to get me to write a bunch of things. So, you know, that, you know, that's just who I am. It's, it's innate in my nature. It's, it's always been that way. I've always been, you know, like a storyteller and, you know, a, somebody who like carefully ponders things. I have degrees in English and philosophy. And so, you know, like brain wise, I can get sucked down a rabbit hole really easily. And just like, I want to learn everything that I can about something. Uh, you know, and then that always kind of just rolls into, you know, how does that inform my story or my worldview or, or whatever from there? That's cool. That's really cool. I, I, I think, and that's what a reader wants. They want to, I mean, obviously they want to hear your philosophy, but they want to be taken to a place maybe they didn't consider. And that's a lot of these articles. I mean, we try to remind ourselves to read more and to listen to more to help educate ourselves for the show and everything and for our listeners and when we do tastings. But I can't think of a time that I've read something and I, for all this time, I still sit back and go, I didn't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. Or that's what an interesting, um, with Peggy No Stevens, she ran us through a tasting, walked us through a tasting on an episode, which was amazing. Um, but even there in that time, there were, there were moments that I was like, 
well, who I didn't even consider that aspect of that like, thing that I've been doing for yeah. so long. And I think that's a writer. That's your job as a good writer to to make us consider, reconsider something. Oh, another article about bourbon. Why am I going to read that? Well, because something might pop out that you didn't think of before. Or like a way to, to kind of peel back the different layers on a topic, right? I think especially, and this is a topic that's come up when we talk about like newer whiskey enthusiasts in our group. You know, there, there are a lot of people who have just like a fervent interest in getting more involved. But when you first start learning about something, how do you know where to even get started? So to have kind of a guide that says, hey, here's this one topic that seems daunting or seems like, you know, kind of face level. Here are all the different nuances you can really get into. And, and here's the emotive side of it that, you know, helps to understand why that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And to yeah, just to jump in just for a second, um, uh, and anybody listening to this, it, Ma- Maggie's stuff is so easy to read. And I learned so much at the same time. So go read stuff by Maggie apply it to, you know, if there's any sort of application to, you know, uh, helping you learn how to drink, find, find notes, that sort of thing. And it's, I, I <laughs> like, it, which is exactly what I need. It's um, an, in, in an informative way. Exactly. I, I think you Google, if you, if, if you just Google your name, which is obviously how we start our research, we Google cause you know, sure. um, because it's 2021 and you're one of those people when you Google because you're a writer, you have to sit back and go, okay, this is a couple of pages to get through. So it's not just one or two articles. Last time you Google my name, it was out to like seven pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's it a was, lot. It's kind of a lot. Yeah. In a good way. I mean, I've been doing this for, for, you know, 10, 11 years. And so, um, but you know, to that point, even I am still learning things, um, all the time. So you were talking about doing a tasting with Peggy. Um, we had our bourbon women had our toast to the 10th virtual, uh, event last week. I don't know if any of you were able to tune into that, but I did with my wife. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Uh, Peggy did her, uh, bourbon and snack pairing. And I, I was watching that at home. You know, I, the first night I had four screens going, you know, I was in my command center and I was like in the chat and I was like sending people emails and do, you know, that was, that was my job the first night, but I was, I was watching her pairing and even I have known her for years and I've been to events that she has done over and over, you know, I've been to dinner at her house where she has talked about this. I learned something from that. And it, it's constantly amazes me how I can go to the same distillery and never have the same experience twice. I can watch a short video by Peggy No Stevens about pairing things, pairing, you know, whiskey and snacks and still learn something. And that's really, you know, the passion behind, you know, what drives me to create all that information because I'm constantly learning. That's what you have to be doing in all things really is just constantly be learning and constantly be open to new information. And that's really what informs my writing because I'm constantly adding to my repertoire. I'm constantly learning new things. And that's a fantastic point too. I, 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 not, not even just listening to multiple people over and over again, I can literally read the same article like two years later and learn something new. You know, it's just sure. something that didn't like click with me at that point previously. Exactly. I've, I've listened back to our podcast to something I've said and learned <laughs> something new sometime. Like, oh, I didn't know that, but I said it. Apparently I've learned I knew nothing it. from listening well, to yeah, you. Well, yeah, well, there's that. But, but I mean, to, to your point, like things that I've been in a conversation with, you know, us here, you, anyone that I've been a part of the conversation, 
I'll go back and listen to it two, three, four times and I'll learn something new every time. So I, I love hearing that, especially from someone in your position that's been doing this for so long. Um, just, yeah, just you never stop learning. So I love that. It gives you a different vantage point. The more knowledge, the broader your knowledge base you know, anything you look at is going to look differently from a new vantage point. I was going to say, I think you're one of the best people I can ask this question to. Um, But we've referenced, you know, all the difficulties of the last year and how that's changed the way we interact with people, the way you could travel and get inspiration for the things that you're writing about. So I'm curious, as an English and philosophy major, and as an accomplished writer, writer, content editor, etc., how do you think the pandemic and having to be in isolation or do all these virtual ways of communicating has changed how people communicate and learn and thinking about your new hat that you're wearing or, you know, president crown, if I can, (laughs) how do you, exactly, exactly. The scepter. (laughs) Um, How do you think that's going to help position bourbon women to think about new ways to engage with people and kind of expand the mission just based on how all this stuff has had to change in the last year? Yeah, I mean, I think just generally and broadly, we've all learned a lot of new stuff. You know, it has not been growth is never easy and it's it's hard and it's it can be very painful. Uh, but I think that we've all learned a lot from this last year. And one of the things that we've learned is the value of, you know, digital communication media and, you know, how to really involve people who aren't able to travel. Um, and so I think really going forward and specifically to bourbon women, especially, um, you know, a lot of the festivals and events are going to probably be hybrid. And I don't think virtual events are going away. I think that, you know, there was that steep learning curve at the beginning. And, uh, you know, Bourbon Women was an early adopter of the virtual platform. I was involved in the SIP Summer Series last year. And the production value on that was stellar. And that was one of the things that really made it attractive to me when, you know, Peggy approached me and said, you know, we want you to fill this position. And, you know, like I, I'm the kind of person who, you know, my career growth is first. And if something is not the right fit for me, I would not, you know, I would not go, go in that direction. But because I'd had that experience with, you know, having that high level of production value on a virtual event with the SIP summer series, I was like, yes, these are people that I feel I can be involved with because they get it. And, you know, they are able to pivot and able to learn. And they're not just sitting back going, Oh no, we can't do anything because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, so going forward, you know, we're looking at our symposium in August and that is going to be a hybrid. We're going to have an in-person event. That's going to be a little bit scaled back from what we usually do, but we are also going to be offering a virtual component of that. And so I think that it's really you know, the last year has been challenging, but I think so many of us have learned so much about the value of digital communication, the value of virtual events, um, because, you know, what we found with the SIP Summer Series was that we were able to reach people who had not been able to travel to our events before. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for when we do our symposium in, in August 
is that we can bring in more people who maybe are interested in that programming, but who, you know, maybe aren't comfortable traveling, don't have the financial means to travel. You know, we, we realize now that we have this ability to include as many people as really want to be a part of it. And I think that's really what we've learned in the last year. That last piece you said too, or one of the last things about people with the financial means or without the financial means to travel, I hadn't even thought about that until we started this conversation. And that sounds like such an amazing opportunity to see how many more people can be reached by not having to put a couple hundred dollar price tag on for attending a conference and lodging and traveling. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something that I always am, am considerate of because, you know, I was very poor for a very long time and, you know, getting into getting a career started when you're poor and, you know, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you don't have boots. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the kind of kind of thing that I came from. And, you know, it was a real struggle getting to this point. So I'm always mindful of that. Like how how can we bring more people into the fold in a way that is, you know, respectful of their financial constraints? And, you know, especially right now with the economy being the way that it is, there are a lot more people in that position than there were, you know, a year and a half ago. Hey, Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker and fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make a weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky-grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in bottled in bond or cask strength. It's non-chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information, not some magical recipe or who Shane's great-great-grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at wildernesstraildistillery.com. So I like this this positive, like, looking forward to more of 2021, looking forward to creative ideas for how we can expand the way we reach out to people, the way we learn. I'm just in such a good mood with this conversation, guys. I think I'm so <laughs> chipper. I know. I'm all about Abundance mindset. Yeah. You you have to have an abundance mindset in all things. And, you know, I think um, I've had this thought many, many times. Um, 2020 was really, really hard for everybody. Um, But early on in 2020, I was just like, you know what? This year's going to suck. And I'm just going to embrace the suck and I'm going to get through it. And, you know, just the other day I was standing in my kitchen and I was like, huh, well, I guess embracing the suck worked because like, I know intuitively that it sucked really bad, but I got through it and it wasn't all that stressful because I just was prepared for that. And, you know, you just really have to recognize it for what it is and be like, sometimes things suck and you just push forward, embrace the suck. There's a great battle tactic that I think is associated to Ulysses S. Grant in the Civil War. And um, essentially, he's, he was talking to one of his officers about how he was able to be successful on the battlefield long term, even though he faced so many insurmountable situations. And, you know, apparently his mentality was just to say, look, you have to understand exactly the lay of the land in front of you, no matter how bad it is, no matter how negative it is, because until you can do that objectively, you're not going to be able to figure out how to get through it. And I just, yeah. 
And well, and also the thing that, that always, that I always come back to is Winston Churchill. Uh, if you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. You know, you don't want to, cool. you don't want to put down stakes there and stay, you know, just, just keep going until you're done. I, I feel like there's this, there's almost this hard for people to admit that there were some wins in 2020 because it's, it's almost, um, insensitive in a way because there were so many people that had it. I mean, it was bad, but then there, but yeah. there are these moments where cool things happened and we learned, I mean, that's how, that's how we evolve, right? Things, you know, good things can come from terrible situations, but Absolutely. these online virtual tastings, this ability to zoom, I mean, literally right now, you know, there was a time where we would have tried to get you in studio, you know, or if it was a call in, it was because you were in Scotland and, you know, you could not get here, right. you know, right. but the zoom mentality, the evolution of that alone has made better guests, more reachable and acceptable, I think in a way. So I think there's some wins or some cool stuff. More people are reading, hopefully, right? More people are, yeah. you know, online trying to do, trying to learn more, trying to dig in. Um, they're definitely buying more alcohol. So that's a side product. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, can you, Maggie, can you tell me, I mean, I, we, we, I don't want to say the mission statement, but what does, this is going to be the cheesiest question one can ask, but I don't know how else to ask it. What does bourbon women mean to you? To me personally, um, you know, really, so I am going to go back and kind of go over the, the mission statement um, because that kind of plays into it. So like really bourbon women's mission is twofold. Number one is providing uh, a space for women to feel comfortable having, uh, you know, learning and enjoying distilled spirits. And the other side of that is uh, facilitating better conversations between brands and women consumers. And then the number two part of the mission is supporting women in the industry. Now, what bourbon women means to me is that I have a tremendous opportunity to support women in the industry and also help guide and facilitate those conversations between brands and women consumers and, you know, really help women consumers say, yes, there is a place for you here. You belong. We want you here. We are excited that you're here and thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing right now, uh, I started this almost immediately um, after I got as day one, I got the login uh, credentials for the website. And a week later, I had started publishing content on the website and the blog. Um, I'm doing a series now that comes out every Monday called Meet the Makers. And what that is, is a, you know, interview Q&A with women in different stages of the distilled spirits industry, uh, particularly, you know, we're focusing on whiskey, um, obviously, right now, but we may open that up to other spirits in the future, but we've talked, I have talked to, uh, Tracy Franklin was the one who came out this week and she is the near, the first nearest and Jack initiative, um, apprentice. She is so, so cool. She was a, a scotch ambassador, scotch whiskey ambassador before this. And she just has one of those electric personalities, you know, you cannot help but be drawn to her. Um, I've talked to Alex Castle, who recently became the head distiller at Old Dominic. I have talked to Stephanie Batty at New Riff, 
who went from baking bread to distilling whiskey, which there's a lot of crossover in those two things, uh, which is something actually that I wrote about early on in the pandemic, interestingly enough, because everybody was um, saying that we were running out of yeast. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not possible. There's yeast everywhere on mm -hmm. everything. You know, and that's something that we know from the bourbon industry, but everybody else doesn't know that. So I took that as an opportunity to go and talk to people and say, you know, what's your take on this? And how can we like help educate people? And so, you know, it's really interesting to see those crossovers between those two worlds. But, you know, getting back to bourbon women, you know, the Meet the Makers series has been absolutely fantastic. We've, we've had an amazing, uh, we've had amazing feedback on that. It has done really well traffic wise. People seem to be really enjoying it, you know, and people are reaching out to me on a regular basis saying, how can I get this person featured? Or, you know, what are the requirements? What do I need to do to be featured on this? And so really, I just want to use that as an opportunity to highlight women in the industry because um, I had a friend call me uh, not too long ago and say, you know, I, I was talking to this, I went, I went to this distillery and this woman who owns the distillery says that she's the only woman in the United States who owns a distillery. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Quick fact check. Still, I need you to sit down. We got to talk. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, I, I might need to just go there and walk in and be like, tell me why you feel this way. You know, <laughs> like, but there's still so little visibility for women in this industry. And there are women who are distillers all over the United States. There are women who own distilleries all over the United States. Uh, there are some amazing women in this industry doing amazing things. And, you know, there's still a visibility problem. And so, you know, it's my, my passion right now at this very minute is shining a light on those women and saying, yes, here they are. We've been so fortunate to meet up with so many incredible people in the spirits industry and then especially women in the last few weeks of recording. And I mean, at this point, just we haven't even scratched the surface. So it's amazing to me to think that, you know, we're in March now as we're talking with you. Um, we've started releasing each of the Women in Whiskey series over the, the last week. We have so much content. I mean, we can sprinkle this through the entire rest of the year, as I think we should, because, again, right. we're just scratching the surface. And this is this is a core part of the spirits industry. It's just getting better and, visibility. Uh, to your point, and like, like you said, Maggie, it's it's a visibility thing more than anything else. I Absolutely. mean, we couldn't yeah. we couldn't make a list of, you know, 10 people in the industry in and around the industry and not have a handful of women in there. You know, just be it. it we, it's just impossible to do unless we're trying to not include women we specifically. Could, we could exactly. We could do a whole year exactly. plus easily. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's why you know, like, I'm really excited about this Meet the Makers series one because like there's just so much opportunity uh, to to find these women and showcase them, and it's going to blow everybody's mind when they see that I can do this for a year and not run out of people. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, people come to me all the time and say, what's it like working in a male dominated industry or what's it like being, you know, high level female in, you know, a man's industry? And I'm like, first of all, that's not true. I wish right. the listeners, I wish our listeners could see Maggie's index finger come up, right? As, that's I not know. true. <laughs> I love first it. Of all. <laughs> First of all, this is my mom look, okay? Like, you are going to put yourself in timeout after this. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, even when you look at it historically, um, 
women have always been a part of this industry. And one of the things, speaking of Lisa Wicker, she she brought up something interesting that, that sent me down one of those philosophical rabbit holes. Many, many years ago, I was doing a story about her that ended up getting killed, and then I revived it later and finally published it. Um, but she said, she told me that, well, yes, of course, women have been distillers in the past. It was a cottage industry before. It was just a matter of home and hearth. And that just like knocked me back for a minute. And then I was like, that totally makes sense. So now when I talk, when I frame the history of women in the industry or the history of anybody in the industry for that matter, because, you know, like I said, I've been uh, talking to a lot of uh, Jewish folks about the Jewish history of distilling. And they'll say, you know, were there any Jewish distillers in Tennessee? And my answer is usually, I don't know any, but if there were Jewish people in Tennessee during this time period, then yes. Uh, because really it was just a matter, you know, whiskey as we know it was just a matter of preserving crops. It was the same as canning and pickling and, you know, other, other methods of preserving food. It was, that's what it was. And so, yes, there were women doing this. Yes, there were Jewish people doing this. Yes, there are people of all stripes doing this thing. Um, because it was literally just an agricultural process that people did. And it didn't become, you know, the perception is, you know, a bunch of men decided that we're going to turn this into an industry and, you know, and then that's where the perception comes from. But for time immemorial, yes, everybody was part of this. So, okay. So we started talking a little bit about the trends that we're seeing. Um, Maggie, I wanted to get your thoughts on one of them specifically, because this is something that we've started to dive into a little bit, especially with, um, the guys at old line spirits, which is kind of right in our backyard in Maryland here. And it's the topic of American single malts that seem to be popping up. Love, love American single malts. Okay. Here we go. Right answer. So, <laughs> yeah. American single malts is, is a category that I am super excited about and have been for quite some time. Um, so for those of you at home who aren't quite familiar with the category, it doesn't really have its own standard definition yet. But there is an American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, uh, which Lisa Wicker is one of the founding members and Paul Letko from Few, and several other folks in the industry, and they're trying to come up with a standard uh, definition to be added to the TTB uh, definitions for whiskey. But basically, it's something that is going to be made with 100% malted barley. Um, but outside of that, what I'm seeing is, is something that I think is really interesting and really exciting. So um, Christian Krogstad from uh, Westward really broke it down in a way that I think made a lot of sense. And that is there's a philosophical and then there's a regional um, approach to American single malt. And so what you see is in the regional approaches, you have a place like Copper Fox in Virginia, where they're doing the American single malt that is smoked with peach wood or American single malt that is smoked with applewood. And, you know, that is a very, southern uh kind of take on that category and then in the southwest you'll see american single malts that are smoked with mesquite wood which is you know these are regional approaches in portland at westward in particular all the people who work there came from the craft beer side portland is huge and well known for craft beer and so their regional slash philosophical um reason for making their whiskey the way they do is because it's it's very informed by 
the background of the craft beer movement there. And so that's like kind of both regional and philosophical. But then you look at places, you know, a lot of the philosophical um, takes, if you will, on the American single malt category have a lot to do with wanting to differentiate your distillery from what somebody else is doing. So we're seeing a lot of people making American single malts when, you know, if their entry into the uh, whiskey industry was, I really love bourbon, but I don't want to make a bourbon. A lot of those folks are making American single malts instead. So we're seeing this actually a lot in like the Sonoma County, California area, where a lot of those folks are winemakers and they're like, well, you know, but I also want to make, um, I also want to make a, an American single, I want to make a whiskey, but not necessarily a bourbon. And so I've got this that is one of the samples that just came to me that I'm really excited about. This is Hanson's of Sonoma. It's a double barreled American single malt, which blew my mind wow. because I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so that's what is really exciting about this category to me is that, you know, there's so many different directions you can go. You know, a lot of folks are doing it without peat. Uh, probably one of my favorites right now that's unpeated is 10th Street Single Malt. That is, uh, they have, they make a peated version and a non-peated version. I like the non-peated version really well. Um, you know, Westward does not do any peat. I really like all the products that they're making. Um, you know, but then when I look at some of the ones that instead of peating it, they're smoking it with different types of wood. Um, you know, I think there's so many interesting takes or American single malt right now. There's just so much innovation going on. And so, I, yeah, that's my favorite category. I've talked to a few people in the single malt, American single malt world. And one of the things that I think is cool is I love Scotch single malts, but there's with Scotland, there's almost a tradition that they try to stick to, you know, peated, sherried, you know, a port finish. They'll reach out and do a rum finish or something, but they try to stay pretty traditional. Our, the, the, the American single malt category, to your point, we don't have, we don't really have that tradition. And that, to your point of right. the regional piece, we can get wacky and do some really cool, and we can do some normal, I mean, Old Line did a port finish single malt, which is brilliant. They just released. And they're working on a peated. Too. Yeah, and they're working on a peated. But you hear about, like you said, the peach, the, all these cool things that we can experience now that still maintains that whiskey category single malt now and then sub subcategory whatever that may be smoked with whatever kind of wood or whatever or during that right. pro, pro, you know maybe it's maybe it's um malted maybe it's not whatever they do i just think that's awesome and i think that's another avenue of, that just shows the cool american whiskey movement and kind of what we can do and what we can how we can make it our own so yeah now i'm looking I mean, forward that, to it that really goes back for me that really goes back to um you know that excitement that I see in people when they're describing their process to me or, or how they came to, you know, start a distillery or whatever, um, you know, because especially with American single malts, but really with any kind of regional or philosophic philosophical variation on, uh, you know, any, any whiskey category, you know, people are just really excited to be able to add to the landscape. You know, people will say specifically, you know, we, we love Kentucky bourbon, but we know we can't make Kentucky bourbon. And, you know, so we're trying to make something that adds to the conversation. And I think that, you know, the American single malt category is just 
wide open for that. It's beautiful. The thing, mm-hmm. the thing again, like I, I'm appreciative that the theme of this conversation has been so many positive things on the horizon, so many cool things to get excited about, like American single malt. Um, Maggie, I'm just wondering, as we start to wind down, give us an idea about some of the things that are next up on your radar, um, especially given the fact that you have the president uh, role for bourbon women at this point. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to be like, you know, crowned queen of America next. I, think that's <laughs> I mean, at this point, that would just make sense. I, they should just go ahead and give it to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, really, you know, what I'm looking forward to at this point is, uh, you know, we have some opportunities to support the bar and restaurants, at, the bars and restaurants as they begin to open back up. Uh, so that's one of the things that, you know, I've been talking to some of our branch ambassadors about, you know, hey, if there's a really great whiskey bar in your neighborhood that you want to support, let's see if we can put together some sort of cash mob to support them, uh, you know, because that's going to be re- really the most important thing is, you know, throughout this pandemic, it's been support the businesses that you want to see on the other side. And now it's going to be like, okay, actually support them more as they're, you know, coming back online fully because they've been through a lot and they have a lot to make up. Um, so that there's like kind of the immediate uh, triage need of, you know, supporting that the front, you know, the customer facing part of the industry. But then I'm really excited about our symposium uh, the last week of August in Louisville. We're going to have our our annual symposium conference. We were not able to have it last year, obviously, but, uh, you know, we're going to be doing that. And there's going to be that virtual component, which I'm really excited about because, you know, like we talked about before, that brings a lot more people into the fold who maybe aren't going to be uh, comfortable traveling then or, uh, you know, may not be financially uh, stable again by then. Uh, so, you know, I'm really excited about that. And we still have a lot of virtual events that we're doing and we've really kind of honed in, uh, you know, on how to put together virtual events that are fun for our members. Uh, because, you know, I think at first there's, there was this, oh my God, let's just do some virtual events and see what happens. And now we're like, okay, you know, we understand what people want, what's going to be fun for our, our members and what's going to be fun for other participants, because you don't actually have to be a member of Urban Women to participate with our events. Um, you know, we have, we have different pricing tiers. So, you know, if, if you all want to get a ticket, join us for an event, see what we're all about, and then decide if you want to join us, that's cool too. Um, so we're, you know, we're going to have, we've already got two virtual events on the schedule for March. We're probably going to have more in April. We're probably still going to be doing virtual events, you know, throughout, throughout May at least, mm-hmm. and probably well into the future. So that's, that's really what I'm excited about is just finding all those different ways to connect with people and to connect people to each other. Well, I didn't mention this earlier, but I actually started my application to Bourbon Women shortly before we got on the call. So <laughs> I'm I'm definitely I'm excited to finish signing up and uh, and join in because <laughs> she's beckoning. The mantra. Oh, my, my, I feel like I need to join. <laughs> so my, my my wife and, and Bobby's wife are also in studio with us. Uh, Bobby's wife uh, Dana is already a member. And right when Katie said this, my wife w- waves over to me. She's like, "Me too. I'm, I'm filling out my application too." 
<laughs> just awesome. think, I when, love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So great you know, sales and, pitch. And, and, <laughs> well, and you know, it's, it's really telling that last year our membership grew by 25% in the pandemic. Our wow. membership grew. 25%. Wow. It was pretty astonishing. Um, you know, because people were really just looking for those ways to connect with other people in a way that was, you know, safe and didn't require travel and all that kind of stuff. And that was something we were able to provide. And so, you know, I'm looking for even more growth this year as people are saying, you know, gosh, I just spent the last year sitting at home and I would really like to get out of the house and do something fun. And, you know, this sounds like a lot of fun. So go to bourbonwomen.org, you know, check us out, check out the, the blog check out the memberships, you know, and if you have any questions, you can email me right there from the page. So, you know, I want to hear from everybody. That's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us a second time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, Cask Chasers, that was the one and only Maggie Kimbrell with the Bourbon Women Association. Thanks so much for tuning in for this episode. Make sure that you check us out online at podcast at caskchasers.org if you've got questions. Also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at caskchasers, as well as our website, caskchasers.org. And until the next episode, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. This is Maggie Kimberl, ruler of the universe, and you're listening to the Cast Chasers podcast. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. We opened that door. Oh, my God.